God is doing just some incredible stuff in this church, and uh, I just see him moving and working. And at the same time, uh, as, as a, the pastor, you can see, oh my goodness, okay, God, as you're working and as you're doing all of these things, here's all of the challenges that it's bringing with it, right? Here's all the things in the natural um, that needs to be done. And, and I'm wondering if some of you are feeling that as well, uh, if you're here regularly where you're like, man, there's just some things that need to happen. And I just wanted to share that, that uh, I, I see those things, I know those things, and we are working on those things right now. Uh, as I say, it just, it's kind of, it feels like we're kind of like, okay, God, like, keep us balanced here, keep us balanced, keep doing what you're doing, um, but, but keep it together, Lord. And, and so I'm just trusting in him as we're, we're working through some of the just things in the natural um, that come with growth. And, you know, I've shared before, this is a, a new um, space for me, personally, is leading a church uh, this size, and so I'm growing with you. Uh, and so I just want you to know that's, that's what I'm feeling, maybe some of you are feeling, and so uh, you're, you're, we're all in that boat together, uh, so let's just keep rowing and see where the Lord's going to take us, amen? <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to share is that today, this morning, uh, I'm speaking to the men, and I was in prayer this week with the Lord, and the Lord specifically spoke to me and said, do not prepare a message for this morning. Uh, and so I sat down, um, and you know how sometimes the Lord asks you to do something, and you're like, okay, well, maybe you just mean, like, don't prepare a full message, right? Maybe, like, prepare a half message or a partial message. And every time I went to do that, uh, I felt the Holy Spirit be like, oh, no, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, and so I am just trusting that as uh, the Lord leads this morning. I, I read, he said, read and trust. And so if you know me, uh, I trust the Lord, but I also love to be incredibly prepared. Uh, and so we're going on a journey this morning together, and the Lord's going to take us where the Lord wants to go and beyond a few notes. Uh, it's just the Lord that's speaking this morning. And so I am speaking to the men specifically today, uh, but as I say, anytime I speak to men or women, I always tell uh, the other gender, pay attention, because it affects you. Uh, that's just the reality. We affect one another, and, and here's the reality of our world that I think we can all feel, is that uh, both genders, men and women, are under attack. They are under attack in different ways. Men are very much under attack and being told not to be men, not to stand up, not to have a voice. Women are being attacked in different ways, and we're going to talk about that next week as well. But we are in this culture where it's almost not okay to be a godly and strong man. And my hope today is for the men here that it would be an encouragement to you and kind of a picture to you of, yes, we need godly and we need strong men. Uh, against what culture would tell us, we need men who are willing to stand up. We need men who are willing to fight. We are men who are willing to step into the gap for the sake of the Lord Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, and for the sake of women and children everywhere. We just need strong men, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning, because the Christian message is a unique message. It is a unique message that is life-giving to the souls of people, whether we're talking men or women or children. You know, I was listening to, some of you probably know Jordan Peterson, 
And I was listening to him not too long ago, a couple of months ago, and he actually gave a message to the Christian church. And he was like, this may be a little bit presumptuous for me to give a message to the Christian church, uh, but he went ahead and did it anyways, because it's Jordan Peterson, and, and he doesn't care. And, and in that message, I, I listened to it, it was about 10 minutes long, and one of the things that he said is he was like, church, you have a vision for men that nothing else in the world does. You have a vision for young men of what it means to grow up and step into the call that God has for them. And when I heard it, I thought, yes, absolutely the church does. The church has a vision for men that calls them to the highest purpose of their life. And he said, invite men in. Bring them in, because they're not going to hear it in the culture. Bring them in, say, we're going to work with you. We're going to teach you what it means to be a man. And that just fired something off in my heart, because my heart is to see strong and godly men. And I was like, that's what the church has to offer in our culture. And so this morning, that's my goal, is just to encourage the men here. To, to try and give us a bit of a vision of, of what it means to step into and what it means to be a godly man. And in order to do that, we have to first look at some of the challenges that we face. Some of the challenges that we see in the fall that men can fall into. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three different challenges that we see in the fall that men have to fight against in, to step, in order to step into the purpose that God has for them. And so let's pray before we dig in. Heavenly Father, I'm asking for your help this morning. Lord, I'm asking that you would lead and you would guide our time together. Father, that you would make it fruitful. That as we speak to the men this morning, that our hearts would burn with a passion for Jesus, that our hearts would burn with a passion and a vision of what you have called us to be in Christ. Lord, I know that wherever strong men are found, culture flourishes, and where men sit back and, and don't engage, uh, it is not good for anyone. And so, Lord, I pray that we would catch a vision for our lives, for our families, for what you would have us do, and that we would be willing to step into what you call us to, Father. And Lord, for the, for the women here, I just pray that it would be an encouragement for them as they hear uh, what it is to be a godly man. Lord, that they could be an encouragement if they're married to their husband. Father, just work in our hearts today, I'm asking. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, the first challenge, just jump right into it. The first challenge that we see from the fall, and I'm not going to say it's a result of the fall, but we see it in the fall. The first challenge is passivity. Man's uh, challenge of being passive when we should be active. We see it in the fall. In Genesis 2, 16 to 17, God went to Adam, and he commanded him. He said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
So God creates Adam, and he goes to him, and he gives him a command, and he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but do not eat of this one tree in the garden. Now, as I said a few weeks ago, uh, there is no indication in Scripture that God gives that command again when Eve is created. He gives it to Adam, and then he creates Eve, and he does not restate the command. And so God had left it up to Adam to deliver that command to his wife that he had given her, to go to Eve and say, hey, we can eat of anything, but not this, Eve. This is off limits. That was Adam's job. And it fits into the mandate that God has given men. We said a few weeks ago when we looked at man's calling that Adam's mandate and man's mandate in general is to work and to keep, right? We are to work and we are to keep. And we looked at a few weeks ago the Hebrew word that's behind work, and it's this word shamar, and it means to watch. It means to preserve. It means to guard, and it was often used uh, in regards to the Levites guarding the temple of God, keeping it holy and serving the temple. And it has a lot to do with following and obeying the commands of God. And so part of this call to keep that Adam has and man has in general is to obey the commands of God, to follow the commands of God, and make sure that they are kept. And we have a responsibility to those who God has given us to help them follow the commands of God as well. And what do we see happen in Genesis 3, chapter 6? Or sorry, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. We see it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And he ate. There's no indication in Scripture that Eve had gone away and had a conversation with the serpent and then came back to Adam having already eaten the fruit and gave some to him. Even if that had happened, he should have said no. But Scripture makes it evident. She had this conversation with the serpent. Adam was with her. He watched her grab the fruit, eat of it, and she hands it to him, and he ate of it. That is the definition of passivity. That is the definition of standing by while someone you love does something that is going to harm them immensely. And so we see right in the fall this, this thing within man that sits back and watches as things happen around him that are not good is passivity. How many times do we sit back? How many times do we sit back while someone we love does something that will harm them? How many times do we sit back and not say something when someone is walking down a path that's going to hurt them? That's not loving people well. And part of the role of man 
is to uphold those commands of God and communicate those commands of God. I think about my family. I know that my wife, I know that my children, they're going to have to come before the Lord Jesus, and they're going to have to give account for their lives, but I know that me as a man, I am going to have to give an account for how I stewarded my wife and my children. How many times do we sit back? How, do we, how many times do we not engage in the things that we are supposed to engage in? This is something that we have to fight against that's right in the fall, this tendency towards passivity. And then I encourage each one of you to think about how does this issue play out in your relationships? How does it play out in your relationship with your spouse How does it play out in your relationship with your kids? How does it play out in your relationship to our church? And how does it play out in your relationship to our society? Because the reality is that nothing flourishes under a passive man. Nothing flourishes. You don't flourish, and anything that God has given you will not flourish under a passive man. A passive man, what we have to understand is that a passive man leads to the same results as a corrupt man. They get there differently, but it leads to the same results. A corrupt man leads people to destruction. A passive man sits there and watches as people walk to destruction. The end result is the same. And one of the realities of a passive man for our own hearts is a passive man often leads to hang-ups and habits that are detrimental. Because passivity leads to idleness. And an idle man is a dangerous man. Now, men need time to rest. We are called to rest, but men should not be idle. And a passive man is often an idle man. And when a man does not have a work to do, when a man does not have something to do with his hands or his mind, that is when he gets into habits, and that is when he gets into hang-ups that are detrimental to him, his family, his church, and his culture. If we look at the instructions in Scripture, it is clear that God calls us to action. Most of the things that we are called to as followers of Christ is action. Look at, look at some of the things it says. Pray without ceasing. Preach the Word. Encourage one another. Love one another. Flee from sexual immorality. Honor parents. Put to death what is earthly in you. Those are actions. If you're a follower of Christ, you are called to action. If you're a follower of Christ, men, you are called not to be passive. And here's the thing that we have to learn in relation to this issue of passivity. There's two things that we have to learn. One, we have to learn what battles am I supposed to fight? Because we're not called to fight every battle. 
But we are called to fight the right battles. And so we need to learn, what battles am I called to fight? And then the other thing that we really have to learn as men is, how am I supposed to fight our battles? How am I supposed to fight the battles that I'm called to fight? Because often, men, we fight the wrong battles, and when we do fight a battle, we fight them in the wrong way. We are called to fight things with a gentle spirit. You know, I was thinking about it this week. What's the best way that a man can fight his battles? It's the same way that a woman fights her battles. Anyone who's a follower of Christ, what's the best way that we can fight our battles? Anybody know? I'm asking. On your knees. Yeah, prayer, absolutely. It has to start with that. So men, when we talk about passivity, think about your prayer life. What's your prayer life like? Is your prayer life passive? Because if your prayer life is passive, that's the root of your relationship with God, and that's going to mean the rest of your life is probably going to be passive. Because you're not sitting with Christ, you're not abiding in Him, and then acting from that place of abiding in Jesus. So it has to start with an active prayer life, with a deep relationship with God. So look there first. And so the first thing that we have to fight against as men is the tendency to be passive. The second thing that we have to fight against as men is the tendency to listen to the wrong voice. The tendency to listen to the wrong voice. Look at Genesis 3.17. What does God say to Adam? He says, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. God goes to Adam and he says, because you listen to the voice of your wife, Instead of listening to my voice, you listen to her voice, and because of that, the ground is cursed. Now, I'm not saying don't listen to the voice of your wife. That is not what God's saying, okay? Yeah, that's not what God is saying. I, several years ago, I actually got a prophetic word from someone at my old church that specifically said, listen to your wife. She has discernment that you don't. And it has served me incredibly well, because she does. Some of you know, she's got crazy discernment, that woman. And so I listen to her, because <laughs> she knows. But it's about listening to the wrong voice. It's not specifically about your wife. In this case, it was, but it was against the command of God. And so the question is, men, whose voice are you listening to? Because there's a lot of voices in our world. There's a lot of narratives. There's a lot of things being thrown at you. And the question becomes, whose voice am I listening to as a man? What narrative has my ear? What is the loudest voice that I am hearing? You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week that we have to be careful of as men and women, but specifically men, is that there is a difference between a conservative voice and a uniquely Christian voice. 
men, we need to be careful. It's great to listen to conservative news. It's great to hear from people who have the similar worldview as you. But if a conservative voice is the loudest voice that you're listening to, it's not a Christian voice. You're missing a lot. So be careful not to confuse conservative voices with uniquely godly, Christian, gospel-centered voices. There's a difference. Young men, this goes for the young women in here too, but young men, who are you listening to? One of the biggest challenges that our youth faces is that they listen so much to the voices of social media. They listen so much to the voices that are on YouTube, on Facebook. Oh, you guys don't use Facebook. I just dated myself. Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok. Our youth are listening to these voices. And here's the reality, young people. For the most part, they don't care about you. They don't. Anyone on social media, they don't care about you. All they care about is engagement. All they care about is clicks. They do not care about the result to your soul. And so know that. It's incredibly dangerous when you start to think that these people that you're connecting with, these people that you're following on social media, actually care about your soul. They don't. They want your engagement. Be careful who you're listening to. You know, this issue of listening to their wives, uh, as I said, this is not directly what God's talking about, but it tended to be a bit of a problem because Abraham did the exact same thing. Right? If we go to the story of Abraham and Sarah, it's very similar to what happened in the fall in Genesis 15, to 6. We see, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the, or sorry, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God gives this incredible promise to Abraham. He says, No, Abraham, he is not going to be your heir. I know you don't have a child right now, but you will have an heir in your house. And not only will you have an heir, but all the nations will be blessed by you. You'll have so many children, you can't even count them. And so God gives Abraham this amazing promise, and a chapter later, we see in Genesis 16, 1-2, what happens. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarah said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So God gives him this incredible promise, and then he goes home and he shares it with his wife, 
and they're getting old. And in the natural, Sarah's thinking, I can't possibly have children now. I'm very old. This is not going to happen. So Abram, go into my servant woman, and that's how you're going to have an heir. Sin is something that God never blesses. Even in the Old Testament, we see all over the Old Testament, these men had multiple wives. God never blessed multiple wives. He never does it once. And here, Abram listens to the voice of his wife and does something sinful in order to get an heir. And if you want to read some historical results of that, if you know your history, there's some pretty big historical results of that that you can read about, that you can see. Aaron. Aaron, when the people had been brought out of Egypt, Aaron listened to the voice of the people. Moses was up on Mount Sinai. He was getting the law from God, and Aaron was down with the people, and the people were getting restless. And what did the people say to Aaron? Make us gods. Make us gods that we can worship. And so Aaron made a golden calf that the people could worship because they were sick of waiting for Moses. And do you know what happened when that happened? Moses comes down, Exodus 32, 21 to 24, and Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let no, not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. We see that in the, in the fall too, right? You know these people. What was I supposed to do? The people are evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. It's their fault. As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has, come, what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they came, they gave it to me and threw it into the fire. And out came this calf. Out came this calf. <laughs> Didn't form it with my own hands. You know the result of Aaron listening to the voice of the people? 3,000 men lost their lives that day in judgment. How about Peter? Peter listened to the voice of Satan. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Church, we have to be careful what voice we are listening to. Are we listening to the voice of God, or are we listening to a different narrative? Because sometimes we can think it's harmless, but as you can see, it's not harmless. It is not harmless when we listen to different voices. And so what voice, what narrative are you listening to when you should be listening to the voice of God? The last thing, men, that, that we can struggle with, that we see in the fall, is believing that work is a curse rather than a gift. 
Work is a gift from God. It existed before the fall. And it was built right into our purpose, men. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work was built right into our existence. It was built right into our purpose. And unfortunately, in the fall, it brought immense difficulty to man's work that we should have never had to face. The interesting thing about man's fall is that God did not curse Adam directly. He cursed Eve in the sense of her childbearing. We'll talk about that next week. Yeah, thanks a lot, Eve, right? But he doesn't curse Adam directly, he curses the domain that Adam was over, and it results in toil and hard work. Genesis three seventeen to 19, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so we see in the fall that work becomes difficult for man. He says, in pain you shall eat of it. That word pain can also be translated toil. Thorns and thistles will come forth. What does that mean? It means opposition. It's going to get harder than it should have been. And by sweat, you will eat bread. And so we see in the fall that this purpose that man had to work just became a lot harder. Now we have to toil. Now we have opposition. Now we have to sweat and work harder than we should have. But man, that does not mean that we shy away from work because God built it right into our purpose. And so don't believe that work is this curse because of the fall. Work is this thing that God has woven into our purpose that has become harder because of the fall. A passive man believes he doesn't have to work hard. A passive man believes that things will just happen for him. A godly man understands, no, work's going to be difficult but I'm called to it for the dominion that God has given me, for the sake of my family. And he steps into it willingly, knowing that it brings challenges, knowing that it brings hardship. But this is the reality of the world that we live in because of the fall. I want to I leave you guys with three examples Three examples from Scripture of men who were not passive, who listened to the right voice, and who were willing to work in the midst of hardship and just see what they did for God. The first one is Noah. If we read Genesis 6, 11 to 14, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Now, anybody who came across Noah thinks this guy's nuts. They have no idea what this guy's doing. Why are you building this massive boat, Noah? It's sunny. What's going to happen? Right? Like he, they would think he was crazy. 
it would be really easy to kind of struggle with this call that God gave Noah because he looked nuts to everyone around him. But Noah was faithful in it. Genesis 6, says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. He built the ark, and he literally saved humanity through the ark. Like, Noah did incredible things for God because he was willing to listen to the voice of God. He was willing to work hard, and he was willing to follow him, even really when he couldn't see what God was calling him to do. And man, each one of us have things that we are called to build for the glory of God. God will call you to build things for His glory and the good of people. And there will be times when you're doing it. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your workplace. Maybe it's in the world. There will be times when you're doing it that people will think you're nuts, that you'll come against opposition, that the work will be hard, but we press through it for the glory of God and the good of people. How about Josiah? I love Josiah. The young men in here, you should love Josiah. This guy is awesome. He became king when he was eight. Imagine that. That's crazy. He was eight years old when he became king. And 2 Kings 22.2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And so during Josiah's reign, they came across uh, the book of the Lord. And they rediscovered the commands of God. And when Josiah read the book of the Lord, he tore his clothes because he realized that the nation was not following God the way that they were supposed to. And so he had the book read in front of everyone. And then he went in and he cleansed the temple of God. And he started tearing down idols and destroying idols of other gods. And he brought reform to the nation of Israel. He said in, it says in 2 Kings 22, 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes and he decided to do all things that were in the book. Can you imagine how difficult that was? Can you imagine how difficult it would have been for young Josiah to see this and to go into his nation and tear down idols and tear down Asherah poles and tear down places where there were male prostitutes. This nation was living in debauchery and in sin. You know how much opposition you come against when you start stepping into places that's filled with debauchery, that's filled with sin, and you start bringing the light of God's Word? But that's what we're called to, man. That's what we're called to. We're called to listen to the voice of God and to go and bring the commands of God into these places, these dark, dark places that need it. And you'll face opposition. And you'll hear voices. Who are you going to listen to? One of the things that we need to do that we see Josiah do is he destroys all idols. He destroys anything that's in opposition to God. And man, one of the biggest things in us not being passive is that we are willing to destroy idols. And I'm not talking just outward idols. I'm talking idols of our heart. I'm talking those things in our heart that are not of God. Anger, lust, immorality, whatever those things are. A passive man lets them stay there. 
passive man doesn't deal with them. A man who wants to follow the Lord, he deals with those things. You know the reality that we have to understand as followers of Christ? Satan doesn't care if you conquer 80% of your lust. He's still got you. Satan doesn't care if you conquer 80% of your anger. He's still got you. A passive man would go, well, I'm pretty good. No. No, we go before the Lord. We say, Lord, create in me a clean heart. If there's anything, if there's anything, root out that last 20%, God. If there's anything in my heart that is not pleasing to you. We never stop, men, for the glory of God and the good of people. Here's the thing that I know about every man in this room. You want to leave a legacy. There's a thing that's like built into us. When you hear that word legacy, you're like, ha ha, yes! Just fires off in men. We want to leave a legacy. We want to leave something that is going to impact the world long after we have gone. But I'm telling you, you will not build the legacy you want by being passive. You will not build the legacy you want by listening to voices that are not God's. You will not build the legacy you want by not working hard. If you want to build a legacy that is God-honoring, and I think if you're here today, you, that's what you want. If you're here this morning, I just believe you want to honor the Lord. You want to be faithful to Jesus. That's what I want for each one of you in here. That's what I want for my life. That's what I want for my little boys. Micah, who's four, Judah, who's not even two yet. That's what I want for them. If you want a legacy that is God-honoring, then it's going to be built through bold, God-honoring, hard work by men who are faithful, by men who toil, by men who sweat, by men who are willing to face opposition, by men who are willing to listen to the voice of God when all of those around you are doubting you. That's how you're going to build that legacy. You know, just to close, I was thinking about this this week. And I kept asking the Lord, I was asking, God, how does all this fit with suffering? Because I said, Lord, there's got to be something there. You, you call us to suffer. And your word is, is clear. <laughs> your word says that, that we will come to be with Christ if we also suffer with him. And that talks a lot about opposition. But I was saying, man, if you're, if you're a man who's not passive, who's bold for the Lord, who's willing to listen to the Lord, you're going to suffer. And that's okay. That's part of the call of a Christian. And so part of this is how willing are we to suffer for Christ's sake? Your growth step this week, man, and I hope that you do it. I want you to, if you're not being discipled, and I have a feeling that most men aren't, we have our men's group on Tuesdays, and that's great. 
But man, we need a, a man in our life who we can look to, who we can be discipled by. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, follow me as I follow Christ. It's this call to emulate a godly man as that man follows Christ. So man, this week, if, if you don't have someone who's discipling you directly, I would encourage you, find that man. Find that man that can teach you what it means not to be passive, what it means to trust and listen to the voice of God above all others, what it means to work hard for the Lord and work hard in all things. Find that man that can help you step into what God has for you because he has a calling for you. He has a purpose for every single one of us here. So find that guy who can help you step into it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the men here. And Lord, I ask your blessing over each one. Lord, I ask that you would encourage them in the Lord Jesus. That you would encourage them in their faith, Father. That you would encourage them in the work that you have for their hands to do. Lord, help us to be men who know when to fight and when not to fight. And Lord, make us men who know how to fight. God, make us men who are zealous in prayer, who know that the battle that we are against has to begin on our knees before you that we have to have a, a deep abiding relationship in Jesus before we can impact others and do good fruit, Lord. Father, we don't, we don't work as men for salvation. That is found in Jesus alone. It's when we're rooted in him that we work from this place of security, that we work from this place of overflow. And so, Lord, may we be men that are zealously in prayer. Father, I pray that you would put on each man's heart what it means not to be passive in what you've called him to. Father, I pray that we would cast off all the voices, including our own, that would speak things that are not of you, that are contrary to your word, and that we would listen to the voice of God, that we would hear your still, small voice, that we would hear your whisper, and that we would respond boldly and willingly. And Father, encourage us in our work. You have given us good work to do with our hands, and yes, it is much more difficult because of the fall. But work is not a curse. Work is a gift from you, Lord. And so teach us how we can redeem our work for your glory. Father, I thank you for the men here. And Lord, I know that for each one, you have a purpose for them. And Lord, I know that for each one, you have a purpose for them in their families, in the community, and in this church. And I just pray that each one would step into what you have for them. 
I thank you for loving us, Lord, and I thank you for your patience. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen.